After the Floods with Sine Riley, documenting the Northern River's flood recovery and looking for future solutions for life on the floodplain. Hi, my name's Sine and welcome to After the Flood. Today on our first episode, I'm preparing to record right as we're about to be hit with another flood in Woodburn. So the town is once again preparing, lifting things, and I'm feeling a little bit numb about it, if I'm completely honest, because we don't really have anything left there to lose, but it's still really bringing up a lot of trauma around the original flood event. So I'm recording this on very little sleep, but it feels like a really good time to actually jump in with the podcast and tell my story as a way of processing this. My name's Sine and I'm a Northern Rivers born and bred local who grew up in Evanshead and Woodburn. I lived in Evanshead until I was 11 and then we moved to Woodburn and my family's lived in the area since the... 70s. So my dad grew up here and my mum moved here in 81. Uh, So there's a really long history of us living in this area and knowing our river system and knowing what flooding looks like for us in our river system. And, you know, over the last 20 years, I've watched my parents lift everything from the downstairs of their house and out of my dad's shed five or six times and never, ever have they had water in. But we knew what a flood looked like in Woodburn, or at least we thought we did. I'm a registered midwife and work as a local private midwife in the area. And in the days leading up to the flood, I was still working. I made one final trip down to McLean to see clients before the flood on the 27th. And then on the 28th, we were lifting things. We got prepared. When I got home from work on the 27th, I said to Jake, my partner, we're in for it here. You know, this flood is on its way. And so I went into Evan's head and bought food and supplies. We got prepared at home. We lifted everything from downstairs to upstairs over the 27th and the 28th. We organised a generator, which we had on our veranda to run our fridge and freezers. And we also had eskies with ice in them because what we were prepared for was that at major flood level in Woodburn, we would have knee deep, possibly waist deep water in our garage and our living area of our house. Our house is built on stilts. We look right at the river on Bank Street in Woodburn, but our house is built for floods. It's built to deal with this sort of natural disaster. And so we were feeling quite confident that the worst that would happen to us is that we'd be stuck in our house for a few days. So we were preparing. I had fresh water put aside in camping jerry cans and bottles for drinking and washing up and flushing the toilet if we needed to, if we lost water. And I had the generator on the veranda and food in the cupboards for about a week, just in case, you know. We also had our tinny in the backyard on standby if we really, really needed it. What we thought we'd be using that tinny for was to go over town and get more supplies if we couldn't get across the bridge for a week. We never in our wildest dreams would have thought that that tinny would save our lives. On the day of the flood, I was 
on Instagram, keeping updated with what was going on in Lismore. And Jake didn't grow up in Woodburn. He grew up in Lennox Head. And he asked me what to expect. And I said to him, if it comes close to overtopping the levee at Lismore but doesn't, then we're in trouble because the levee kind of pushes everything downstream to us. If it overtops the levee, though, we should be okay. And that was really what I thought because all of the floods that we've experienced in Woodburn since I've lived there, it it hasn't been to the scale that we saw this time around. We had usually weeks upon weeks of rain leading to a flood in Lismore, which then came downstream to us a day and a half to two days later. That's what I thought we would have. But that weather system that we experienced just kept on building and it was pouring down with rain where we were in Woodburn and the river was rising in Woodburn before the water had a chance to come downstream from Lismore. And when it overtopped the levee at Lismore and just kept on going for another two and a half metres, we were in trouble. But we didn't, we didn't have time to realise that and make plans. I want to make it really clear that the Bureau of Meteorology on the 28th still was just predicting the river to reach major flood level in Woodburn, which is 4.27 metres, I think. And that would have been knee-deep water in our house. So that's what we were prepared for on the 28th, knee-deep water in our garage. As the night went on on the 28th, we were watching the river and we were watching the backwater over the paddocks and it reached a point where we started losing one step out the front in half an hour. So it was rising about a centimetre a minute. When it was about knee-deep in our backyard and in our garage, I said to Jake, I think you need to go and untie the boat from the trailer so that it will float, pop the bung in and tie it up to the veranda. So he tied it up to the tree out the front rather than the veranda so it wouldn't bang into the house. Once it got waist deep, the tinny was starting to fill up with water because it was bucketing down. And he went outside and untied the tinny from the tree and actually put it in our garage. Around 11 or 11.30 p.m., we got a phone call from my baby brother. I say baby brother. He's he's not a baby. He's 22. That's when I started to get scared because my brother was scared. And my brother is not afraid of water. He's a surfer and a spear fisherman. He's competent at boating And we've spent our entire childhoods in the water. This kid could snorkel at two years old. You know, he is a total water baby. So for him to be scared of the water when he's practically a fish, that started to scare me. He called me and he said, Sinead, you need to send Jake down here in the boat to get us out of the house. His house was low set and he lives down the other end of our street couple of kilometers down the road really because you have to go past the past the bridge and right down the other end to get to his house he'd had to evacuate with his girlfriend his housemate their two dogs and their cat 
hours before and he'd gone to another house owned by his landlords a couple of doors down, uh, which was actually in a pretty bad state. It was being renovated and it was completely gutted inside. So they were basically camping in this sort of shell of a house, watching the water rise. And he said, you need to come and get us out. We need to get out. That's when I started to feel the fear. And I said to Jake, you need to go and get my brother. I begged him to go, but Jake didn't want to leave me in the house with the water rising as quickly as it was where we lived. At that point in time, we had about four steps until it reached our front door. So that's about just over a metre until it reached our front door. But it was rising really fast. So Jake said to me that he would hop in the boat and he would go down to the bridge and check what was going on and he'd come back for me before he got my brother. I wasn't stoked about this because I just wanted my brother safe and I wanted him in the house with me. But I agreed to that. And just as we were having this discussion, we heard a big bang. And then we watched a shipping container race past our house at about 50 kilometres an hour on the river. When Jake got in the boat, I was pretty scared. There were a lot of large trees, debris, water tanks and fuel tanks from farms, shipping containers in the water. It was pitch black and all he had to guide him was a head torch. But he got in the boat and he went down to the bridge and when he got there, he called me and he said, Sinead, I'm bringing you to the bridge. This is where we're going to be safest. I'm coming back for you and the dog. Be ready to jump in. So I'd already packed an evacuation bag earlier that day so I grabbed that bag I grabbed the dog I grabbed our swag off the back deck and the life jackets and the dog's life jacket (laughs) we weren't going to lose the dog through all of this and I was adamant that he have his life jacket on so he'd be safe and I got ready to hop in the boat so when Jake pulled up out the front I threw the dog in threw the swag in carton of water that we'd bought from the shops earlier our swag and we got in the boat and we we left and made our way to the bridge and it was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life getting in the boat and going to the bridge in the dead of the night especially because I knew that my brother was waiting for us to go and get him and I was scared for him because I didn't know how close the water was to his front door at that point in time. So we got to the bridge and I think at that point my mum, my dad and my sister who lived on the other side of the river in my childhood home, the water was coming up in their place as well and I think at that point my sister and my mum had already evacuated to the school and they were there safely but my dad was still at home. So my whole immediate family was going through this massive event but we were all separated by water and I remember getting to the bridge and unloading the boat as quickly as I possibly could and then I called my brother and said that Jake was on his way to get him and Jake looked at me and he said that he was scared to go down the other end of the street to get my brother 
He also told me then that the big bang that we'd heard earlier was the shipping container hitting the pylon of the bridge as it came through. So there I was on the bridge with the dog, crying in the pouring rain and begging my partner to go and save my brother's life. And of course Jake did. He would never, ever leave my brother stranded, but he was scared and I was scared. And the whole time he was gone, I stood on that bridge and I said out loud, please let them come back safe. Please let him get my brother and please let them come back safe. And I watched the progress of his head torch along the riverbank as far as I could see it. I watched that light disappear and I kept on repeating, please let them come back safe. Please let them come back safe. At this point in time, there were only two other families on the bridge. And I set up the swag and waited for Jake to come back. And finally, I saw the torch coming back towards the bridge. And I ran down to the water's edge and met my brother and his girlfriend, Hannah, the housemate, Jackson, their two dogs and their cat, and grabbed my brother and gave him the biggest hug that I think I've ever given him in my life. And same with my sister-in-law, Hannah. I was so relieved to see them and to have them there with me. It still didn't feel safe on the bridge, you know. We had trees banging into the pylons and we were completely surrounded by water and it was still lashing us with rain. But we set up our swag and got dry. Kobe and Hannah and Jackson didn't have a swag, but there were cars parked on the bridge to get them out of flood height and we found a car that had an awning on it. So we set up the awning so that they would have some cover from the rain and they sheltered under that car's awning all night wrapped in blankets. None of us slept that night on the bridge. It was howling with rain. The water was rushing past beneath us. We were watching houses and businesses go under and boat by boat, Every single one of our neighbours in Bank Street made their way to the bridge across that night time. Our boat was really small. It was new, newly secondhand to us anyway. And we didn't quite trust the motor and we also knew that we had really limited fuel. So Jake was unable to rescue anyone else that night. We got a phone call at one stage from a family who were about to climb on their roof with their two-year-old down the road from us, down next door to Kobe's house. And they asked if we could go and get them. And I just looked at Jake and I said, no. I said, you can't go. We don't know how much fuel we have in the boat. We don't know whether you'd make it there and back. He wanted to go. He wanted to help these people. But at the same time, we knew in that moment that it was too risky with the amount of fuel that we had left that he might not make it back and it wasn't worth his life to risk that. So we asked one of the guys with a bigger boat and more fuel to go and get them and that's what they did. That night on the bridge we could hear cows drowning 
all night long. We just sat and watched the water rise. None of us slept. Every hour, Jake had to go down and drag the boat further up the bridge as the water rose. We just waited for daybreak because no one would come and get us off the bridge in the dark. The SES boats weren't running. They were not doing rescues at night. And all of the civilians over the other side of town were busy rescuing people on that side of town. And no one wanted to come that close to the bridge at night because of the danger of the water so close to the river and the lack of visibility. So we were effectively just stranded for the whole night. As day broke, we looked down the bend of the river towards our house and realised that our second floor would be totally underwater. We watched the logs underneath the bridge whiz past And finally, finally we heard motors, we heard boats coming to the bridge to rescue everyone. At that point in time, we probably had about 90 people and 30 animals on the bridge, mostly dogs and cats, a couple of birds. And our neighbour who lives behind us, she runs a riding school and she had 10 horses still in her paddocks. So her and her partner got in their boat and went back across the paddocks trying to save horses and Jake was cutting lengths of rope from our boat for them to use to lead the horses into the bridge and one by one they swam the horses in. We helped them get the horses in onto the bridge up to dry land to safety and these horses were exhausted after being in the water all night. They were terrified. And we were too. Once we knew that they had all of their horses there, Jake and I got in our boat and followed another boat across the river and over to the Woodburn Public School, which was the next high point in town and the safest place for us to be at that time. We were some of the last people to leave the bridge that morning We waited until everyone else was safe and we waited until we had a decent-sized boat to follow just in case we ran out of fuel or our motor conked out. So that's the story of our flood escape, our flood survival and the scariest night I've ever spent. To connect with Sine and follow her journey through the rebuilding of her life and community, Head to Instagram and search for After the Flood Pod.